there's such an excitement in the room. There's such a presence of what God wants to do. This morning, I just, I, uh, I've got pr- enough to probably drown you in my sermon, and I don't know that I'm going to get to it all, but if you have your Bibles, just open up to Matthew chapter 14 with me. Matthew 14. Let's, uh, let's start uh, Matthew 14, verse, um, verse 22. says, And immediately Jesus made his disciples go into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the, mul- the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking onto the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, be of good cheer. It's, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. Everybody say, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. Let's stop there. You know, we give Peter a lot of grief because of his big mouth. But Peter was the only one that got out of the boat. Peter continually even though his mouth will get him in trouble at the same time, he was the one that was continually connecting with Jesus. I love Jesus. I love to see the heart of Jesus for Peter. Because here's Peter. We have, we have where they, multi, remember they multiplied the, uh, the fish and the bread and they were on the sea, uh, next to the Sea of Galilee. And the, the scenario happened where they had probably around 15,000 people and they're getting hungry, and Jesus, everybody knows this miracle. He takes the fish, he takes the loaves, he multiplies them, he hands them out. And then he goes on to preach, hands down, the most offensive sermon ever. If you guys know what the sermon is, you'll know, because that's the sermon where he went into, you're going to eat my flesh. They have not taken communion at this point. Jesus didn't throw out there just letting you know this is not literal. He's standing in front of 15,000 people, and he says to them, All right, you're going to eat my flesh. If that didn't offend him enough, he goes ahead and goes into, and you're going to drink my blood. Talk about a massive, by the end of the sermon, it says that he's talking to the 12. (laughs) He looks at the 12. I don't know how you get that. I get that he pretty much cleared out 15,000 at that point, and you got the 12 that are standing there with one of the most controversial sermons in history. It's not what you're going to learn in how to grow a church. And he looks at them, and he makes this remark to them. He says to his disciples, he says, you want to leave too? Peter speaks up. I love what he says. He says, where would we go? When you've tasted of his presence, you can't leave it. 
when, you've, when you have tasted of the presence of the Lord, leaving it, it no longer is an option. And so Peter says, Peter doesn't come back into him and say, Peter doesn't say, well, you know, I, I really, I get what you're saying. I, I understand. They don't get it. I get it. And he says this. He says, where else would we go? And then he goes on and says, your words speak life to me. There's a scripture that I have quoted over and over and over lately in Psalms, I believe it's Psalms 27.7, that I feel like has been a, a, a scripture to steward of how to steward a move of God. And it says this, it says that those that are full, I'm paraphrasing, don't even want the honeycomb. But to those that are hungry, even the bitter is sweet. This response from Peter was a picture of, you just preached one of the most bitter sermons I've ever heard. But I'm so hungry for you that all I know is when you speak, I feel life. So here's Peter again, right? They're on the water. They're in the middle of the ocean. I, I went and I, I just Googled, not the ocean, the Sea of Galilee, and I went and just Googled some pictures of stormy seas, Sea of Galilee. It gets pretty crazy. And they're out there, and they see this figure on the water, and again, they say they're scared. They're really scared, and they say it's a ghost, and then there's this really interesting conversation that happens with the ghost. Um, here's Peter. He they speak out, and he says, who is it? And the Lord says, it is I. And then Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come. Really interesting that he would state that, because it seems like to me, if you can already have a conversation, anything could say come. Except the fact that Peter has come to realize that when the Lord speaks, I feel life. If a ghost could walk on water, I'm just using what they said, if a ghost could walk on water and a ghost could talk to you, it seemed like a ghost could say, come. But Peter said, if it's you, you tell me to come because Peter's already, he's already described in the previous passage that when he speaks, I feel life. And so what does he do? Jesus speaks the same word that he speaks to everyone in this room that comes to him. He says, come. I know a popular statement that we say in church all the time is, you know, we even sing, used to be songs about it. I found Jesus. You guys remember that one? It's like, uh, you know, I hate to blow it, but you didn't find him. You can't find him because he calls to you and you respond to him. You can look all you want, but without him speaking to you first, you can't come because he has to speak, Come. And he spoke these words, I'm bouncing all over my sermon this morning, but, but he, he, he speaks this word to Peter. Peter says, if it's you, tell me. And Jesus speaks, hey, just come. And, speak, and Peter, that's him. I felt life. You feel it too. You feel it when you come into worship. You feel it, I feel it standing right here. I feel him speaking. He's saying, come, just come. And I feel it surging through my body because when he says come, there's something that happens when he says come that only happens when he says it. Because he goes through my head straight to my heart and says come. 
And the disciples, they're, the interesting thing is they're freaking out about this storm, but just five or, cha- five or six chapters earlier, we see that, remember what happened? They were in the boat with Jesus. He was down below sleeping, same sea. And he's, he's in there sleeping, and they're, they're, you know, master, you don't care about us. They start, they start complaining, you don't, you don't you're, we're gonna die, you don't, you're sleeping. <laughs> and Jesus comes up, and what does he do? He rebukes them for their lack of faith, and he speaks to the storm, and it calms down. Something I heard someone say this year that blew my mind, he said, you'll never have faith over something that you can't sleep through. That's really, that one line is what I want to chew part this morning. Just, just let's get to the bottom of that one line because I've really been thinking on it. You can't have authority over something that you can't sleep through. You know when situations happen and they take away your sleep. Jesus could sleep through this. Jesus could stay in the bottom of the boat and rest because it didn't have authority over him. He was not bothered by it, and the disciples were still learning. They still had their training wheels on, start trying to figure out how this works, that I have his authority, I have his power, but they weren't sure of that yet. And so he comes up, and, and he tells the seas to calm, and, and here we are again with Peter. They're back on the water, and the sea is, you know, it's, it's waves again, and here we are again. Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. And he spoke the word, come. Every, every person in this room is created for greatness. Every person in this room, I don't care. It does not matter what your history is. It does not matter where you are now. Go read your Bible about the 12 disciples. These are the same guys that were trying to call down and burn up a whole city. They were a little off in their perception still. And still, they're the ones that Jesus chose to surround himself with. Every person has been tuned in to hear God's voice. He speaks, our hearts come alive, and then we respond. Every person has the ability to hear God's voice. I don't care who you are. You have the ability to hear God's voice. I know that some people, I, I, we, we can, how do I say this? A prophetic gifting is so much bigger than just hearing God's voice. Because some people look at other people and say, well, you're so prophetic. But you can still hear the voice of God too. And people come for words, and they want words. And, and the neat thing is, is that the cool thing is that God will speak to you. I know this sounds a little foundational, but it's important that we get this before we go any farther. He has designed you. He has tuned you into his voice. He's he created you that way, to hear his voice. And when you hear his voice, you respond. And Peter's facing, Peter's facing what could be death? I mean, I, I know we've read this scripture so many times, but can you imagine that first step out of the boat into the water? 
I mean, I mean, for real, you know, uh, we've watched Indiana Jones, right? When he's like doing that blind step onto the bridge, you know, that's, that's what I kind of get. Uh, Peter's not like, haven't done this in a while, you know, he's net, this is insane to him. He's stepping out on the water all because Jesus said, come. And I love that, I, I, I love that Peter is facing what, what would be probably death, except for he has one word to overcome it. It's come. So unique how Jesus, if you follow this, Jesus equips and he empowers. In Matthew chapter 8, when they were on the boat and it was, you know, he was sleeping, he was teaching them. He was equipping them. He was trying to tell them, listen, you have authority for this. You have power for this. There was an equipping that was happening. But at some point, he had to get them out of the boat and empower them. Some of you, I hear people say all the time, oh, we equip people, we equip people, we equip people, we equip people, we equip people. That's great. Have you empowered anyone? You can equip an amazing athlete his whole life, but if you never let him in the game. See, that's my heart. And here's the scary thing about empowering people. There's messes. I don't know. You just don't know. But you also begin to find out that people begin, when you begin to transition from equipping to empowering, something happens. And so here's Jesus. He told them in in Matthew chapter 8, he equipped them, said, all right, now you know how to speak. Now you know the authority. Now he comes back here in this account in Matthew chapter 14 and says, all right, now it's time to empower you. Get out of the boat. 2018 is going to be a year a lot of you get out of the boat. You're going to get out of the boat. You've been equipped enough. I mean, you'll, you'll keep getting equipped, but, you know, you're going to get out of the boat. Some of you like your boat. Some of you have put, like, seat warmers in your boat and, and cushions in your boat, and, and you're happy in your boat. And, but I'm telling you that the miraculous is after you get out of your boat. And Jesus, none of the other guys, you don't hear about them in this miracle. It was the one guy that got out of the boat that says, I'll go when you speak. Because Jesus was trying to empower him. He was trying to show him, listen, if you'll just keep your eyes on me, if you'll respond to my voice, you will be fine. You will overcome things that no one else can do. You know what's unique about these scriptures is that all this is happening before the cross. The cool thing about your Bible is if you read your Bible, so much of the time what you read is actually pointing to what's coming with the cross. If that makes any sense, okay, we have these passages that are pointing to a better covenant that you and I now can live in. Jesus didn't just, he did not only die on a cross so you could go to heaven. If that was the only purpose, you'd get saved and he'd kill you. You'd get saved and you would die if that was the only purpose. You're, you're starting to catch it. <laughs> you know those, like, those, you watch the National Geographic channel and, like, you got these animals that are, like, they mate and they're dead? And it's like, that was your sole purpose. And then, boom, dead, right? And can I talk about that or is that, like, off limits in church? Sorry. 
forgot the kids are in here today. Um, <laughs> there you go, mom and dad. Have fun with that. Um, <laughs> that all day as I went there. And so it's not that way. I'm turning red. I feel it. <laughs> It's not that way, though, with kingdom. God doesn't just save you so that, hey, you're saved now. Great. You go to heaven. Bam. You die. No. That's not how it works. You got to understand your Bible. You got to understand the whole what happened. Jesus, when he put Adam and Eve on the earth, he says, I want you guys to enjoy life. You want to know what his intent is for you? Go all the way back before we screwed it up. Go all the way back, and he says, listen, guys, enjoy it. Just, I got you a garden. You don't have to worry. You don't have pain. You just enjoy it. And so here they are. They're enjoying it. They're enjoying it. And the next thing you know, they've messed up. And what happens? The curse is released. But here's a good, God is so good, he doesn't say, well, made your bed, bud. Sleep in it. It doesn't work that way. He said to them, he says, this is not good. You know, when I created man, I said it's good. Now it's not good. Something has to change. So he decides the only way that we're going to change this is that I'm going to have to send my only son because he is the only one that carries enough power in a sacrifice to break the curse. And then once the curse is broken, you get to live in what was originally the intent for man. Say, well, if that's the case, why do we have pain? If that's the case, why do we have troubles? Because it is a continual process of walking into the fullness of what he gave us. It's a continual process. That's why there is nothing more unnecessary than a depressed Christian. And I don't say that mockingly. Because I have, that's one of the, probably the highest issues that you run into in a church is depression. Pastors deal with it too. But it's unnecessary. But it's a process. It's called taking all that he paid. Here's the problem. Is if all you think he paid for was a ticket to heaven, you have no idea what all he's really given to you. Come on, church. This is so important. I, I'm, I'm just freestyling this morning because I feel like this is where the Lord wants to go, okay? And so here he is. He says, listen, I equipped you. It's time to empower you. He walks on the water. Who will get out? Peter said, if it's you, call to me. Because I know when you say come, I'll know it's you. This all happened. It was pointing to a lifestyle that we were going to get to live in. Jesus was trying to teach them in Matthew chapter 8. We're back in the boat. He's in the bottom of the boat. He's trying to teach them the importance of rest. All most of us look at in that scripture is that he spoke to the waves. What about the fact that he is our model and he was sleeping? Maybe that's something we're supposed to catch. Can I tell you something else that changed in the new, the new covenant? The day of Sabbath turned into a lifestyle of Sabbath. 
you should really amen that. That's a really good point. <laughs> Listen, you need rest. That's why he said you don't just do it one day anymore. You get to actually operate from a place of rest. That's why he demonstrated in Matthew 8 and said, I can come from a place of rest and speak to the waves and they stop. He demonstrated rest. There's a reason that the first of the year I go on vacation. It's because I want to start from rest. And I don't always get to do that, but as many times as I can, we hold our vacation to the first of the year because I really want to come in to, I don't even do a New Year's resolution until after I'm resting because I just want to come about it from a place of rest. God was saying to us, he was saying, listen, he was demonstrating all we focus on is the waves and that's powerful, don't get me wrong. But what about the fact that Jesus, the perfect representation of the Father, was asleep? He wasn't asleep. That's amazing. You still with me? It's a lifestyle of rest. It's, it's in a lifestyle of rest that we have the greatest authority. Jesus demonstrated it. And he wanted to teach them that you not only have authority to calm the storm, but you also have the power to walk on the storm. Because how many of you know sometimes that the storm doesn't always stop right away? And you got to keep going. So Jesus has shown them now, okay, you've got the authority to tell it to stop. But even when it hasn't stopped, if you come... You can walk in it. Just keep your eyes on me. This is the stuff that we have to hear, folks. These are, these are the real facts of a Christian walk because I wish that we never had storms in our life. That'd be fantastic. But the reality is, is they come, which is why Jesus showed them two things. One, here's how to stop it, and two, here's how to walk in it. He obviously, when he says scriptures, like when you've done everything else but stand, stand, those are passages that he's aware of what you're going to go through. Why do you think he came? Was so he could say, I went through it too. He's actually that good. You ever have someone giving you advice and you know they've never went through what you're going through? And it's like you really appreciate their heart, but it's like, man, you got no idea. I mean, that's one of the hardest things as pastors. I can't, I don't want to go through what the whole church goes through. And you have to hear the Holy Spirit speaking into something because there's no way I can live in every one of those situations. But, you know, people come up to you and, you're, you know, I have it with me sometimes. I'm going through something and someone's like, oh, man, just do this. I, I'll never forget I had a situation with some really well-known pastors. I won't tell you who they are because everyone in the room would know them. And I was going through a really, really hard time. Um, and I was in a meeting. I won't. I was in a meeting, and at that meeting, uh, Bill Johnson was there. It was really interesting. It was only just a real small handful of us. And um, I went through a really challenging time in ministry, and um, just one of the hardest things I ever went through. And uh, one person's like, oh, I just feel like it's going to be okay. I'm like, what planet are you on right now? I'm like, you are not feeling anything in this room. And I'll never forget, I remember, I remember um, if you've ever been around Bill, he's always on his iPad. And he, and he looks up at me. He's like, oh, that's hard. And he began to just speak truth into it. But he came from a place of understanding what I'm going through. 
and I could open up to that. Jesus says, I need to walk what you're going to walk through, so when I speak into what you're in, you'll open up to me. He walked it. You'll never go through something he didn't go through. He's went through something. The reality is he's gone through worse than any of us. And yet he can speak into our lives and we can say, you've been in my shoes. Peter hears him say, come. When he says come, his life, his heart is filled with life. When Jesus speaks come, faith, when Jesus speaks to us, faith comes alive. I want to talk about this for a couple minutes because we hear this. One of the things that we've heard it called is, I've heard it said before that faith is the currency of heaven. I really like that statement. I think it's really well said. Here on earth, we have cash, we have whatever, you know, whatever we use for our currency. In the economy of heaven, we have faith. Faith is what moves things. Faith is what happens. Faith is what changes situations. It's God's economy. It's God's currency is faith. Faith, faith makes things happen. Jesus, Jesus had a really, 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 really high priority for faith. He says in uh, Luke chapter 18, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 8, he's speaking and he makes this remark. He says, when I return, will I find faith? Now that's interesting because you would think if the one thing Jesus said, the one thing I'm looking for when I come back is faith, that should probably be the highest priority and focus of our life because he didn't say he didn't say listen when I come back will I have a bunch of people that know a lot of bible scriptures you need to know the bible don't get me wrong he didn't say when I come back will I have a bunch of really happy loving people he says I hope when I come back I find faith why because he knows that for us to accomplish what we need to accomplish, it can only happen through faith. You can't do it through anything else. There has to be faith. And Jesus put a high, high priority on that. And I find it interesting how the church has found ways throughout the years to actually diminish the importance of faith. Because what's happened is, is you've had a couple people do something foolish in the name of faith. And so what we've done is we've decided to play it safe. The problem with that is when we react to errors, we usually produce errors. <laughs> when we react to an error, we usually, we, we usually produce an error ourselves instead of responding. See, Jesus didn't react. He responded. Big difference. I've been around people that react to everything. It's like, man, you're stressing me out hanging out with you. It's like, whoa, chill out. You know, it's like, you, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Some of you are like, that's me. I'm not raising my hand. Uh, <laughs> 
think I learned from my dad that one pretty good. My dad is the king of not reacting. He's really chill in his responses. My, my wife would call when we were dating, and I was living at home, and my dad would be like, it's really calm. He'd pick up the phone. He'd be like, hello? And she's like, hey, it's me. It's John there. And he'd go, it's like this weird, yeah. And my dad never, like, my dad hardly ever just reacted majorly. Now, now sometimes it took him a little while to respond, but he wasn't a reactor. One of the things that Jesus demonstrated over and over and over and over and over was he didn't just react, he responded. I think that one of the most effective things we could do as a church is to learn how to respond and not always react. The news is full of reactions. You won't make the news probably with responses because they're looking for big, ugly reactions. But that's not how Jesus worked. He responded to things. And what's happened is, is the church, I want to talk with you about this because I think this is where a lot of bad doctrines have come from. I think this is where a lot of bad theologies have come from, is that we've had somebody that's been filled with faith that, that did something dumb, and then everybody backed off and said, well, you know what, I just don't want anything to do with that anymore. It creates, what, what, what we call it is, is we, <laughs> well, we want everything to be balanced. Balanced typically means in church lingo, I want to stay in the middle of the road and I don't want to go, I don't want to do anything radical. That's usually what balance actually means. Take it from me, I'm a pastor's kid. I've grown up around a lot of pastors, a lot of ministers. The guys that say, well, we just want things balanced. They usually would not be okay with people falling on the floor during worship and laughing because it's, it's not balanced. I bet they wouldn't have thought Jesus' sermon about eat my flesh and drink my blood was very balanced. Faith can be really offensive to faithless people. Faith can be very offensive to people that don't have faith. Don't take it as an insult. Don't take it as a, don't take it as a kickback. Trust me. We look back and we read about guys, I've been referring to them a lot lately, guys like Smith Wigglesworth. We read the history books. You didn't live with them. Now it's like, wow, they're amazing. That's not what everyone around them thought. That's not what everybody sitting around them thought. That's not, that's not what the church was thinking. Because they were coming in and they were wrecking everything. He was wrecking everybody's world. Can you imagine the one statement he makes would blow so many people's minds. He says, well, when I don't feel heaven, he says, when I don't feel heaven moving, I move heaven. People would be like, they all over that. Heretic. <laughs> he was so filled with faith. But people that don't have faith get very offended by people that do have faith. And then what they say is, is that wise? That's usually saying, I'm scared of what you're doing, so let's cover it up in wisdom. I've just, can I... I better get back to my notes. Um, 
the people that I let speak into my life are people that are taking a risk. People that tell me that they're being wise, but they're not doing anything for the kingdom. I love you, but I'm very careful about who I let speak into me. And Jesus was constantly going out there and going for it. Peter was the guy that says, listen, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. This, this flesh and blood thing is crazy. But all I know is when you say it, I feel life. You know how many weeks I sit here on the front row and I say, I don't even know what's going on in this room right now. But I feel life. You know how many people come up to me and say this? Your church is weird. But I feel life. I had a gentleman come up to me about nine months ago. Never been in a church like this before. He says, I came and visited you and I left and thought it was the weirdest thing I ever went to. He was very honest. And he came back. And then he came back again. And he said this. He says, listen, I do not understand why you do what you do. But he says, I feel more life in that room than I've ever felt in another church. That is Jesus out on the waves saying, just come. You won't get it. Some of you don't understand why we do what we do. That's okay. Is there life? Do you feel your heart pounding? You think you're just, it's because you want to get out of the room. It's not why it's pounding. It's, you feel him speaking to you. Our ratio has gotten a lot better about people that stay through worship. I got to give you that. Maybe it's because Tiffany's just prettier than I was. But people hang through the whole worship service now. Props for that. Faith will offend people without faith. Not everyone liked people like a, a, a Wigglesworth. He offended people. <laughs> we like him today because he's dead. <laughs> Israel liked their dead prophets too. But they didn't like it so much when they were speaking things that they didn't want to hear. What's my point? There may be people in the row with you that are saying things that is messing your head up that may be people that are bringing heaven to earth and your mind is not wrapped around it yet. But what does your heart say? People ask me all the time about my leaders, how I pick my leaders. I let my heart pick them. I'm going to feel it. I'm not worried about credentials. I am proud to say that most of my leadership team doesn't have them. And most of them have never been through ministry school. And most of them have never even been in ministry before this team. You know what that does for me? I don't have to retrain them. Yeah, we got fathers and mothers. We have some on our team that are generals, in my opinion. Mike and Gerilyn, they're in there with the kids right now, are generals. But God didn't pick the 12 because he says, you look like a qualified 12. He knew that they were the 12 that when 15,000 walked off, they'd hang around. That's what he was looking for. My question to us is this, when things happen, 2018 is going to be a fun ride. Trust me. There's already been prophecies over this house over the past three weeks that it will grow three times what it is in the next year from people that I highly value. What does that look like? I have no idea. We don't even have that many chairs. We don't have that much room in this building. What do I know? I know that if God spoke it, and if it's his word within the word, everything I need is there. And he spoke it. But the question is, will we be the people that say, you know what, I'm not a big fan of 
uh, having to get to church 20 minutes early to seat my family. But if that's what it takes, I'm hungry. I'm not a big fan of having to walk all the way around the building, but you know what? There's life in the room. I'm not just talking, listen, if this is not your home church, don't, I pray the same thing over every house represented here. But I can only speak for my house, that I want to live from a place where I'm one of the 12 that says, I don't know what you're doing, but I feel God on it. I feel life all over it. Do I have some wild people to say amen? <laughs> All right, let's try to wrap it up. Wow, I got a lot left. I told you I can't do all this in one day. (laughs) Jesus said, come. In Jesus' voice, it's everything we need to overcome the impossible. Let me say that differently. Jesus' words contain everything we need to do to overcome the impossible. Because his words can come out of my mouth. And it can speak the ability to do the impossible into you. Reinhard Bonnke says that his words coming from his mouth are no different than his words coming from your mouth. That's powerful. Peter heads out. jump down there's a moment where Peter takes his eyes off the Lord doubt is not an option if you're going to go walk on the water Jesus said to him well actually my Bible says doubt is a sin but Jesus defines doubt in this passage that Peter took his eyes off of him that's how he defined doubt Why'd you doubt, Peter? Keep your eyes on me. Faith is so unique. Because faith is produced from walking a life and surrender to Jesus. But it produces the authority and the power to walk on the seas. Faith is, faith is produced from a place of yielding our hearts to Jesus. That's where, it's, that's where it comes from. But faith produces in us the ability to walk on water. It's born from a place of surrender, but it releases power. I think that's important because some people, their personalities are powerful. It doesn't always mean they're How do I say that nicely? Walking in surrender. You can yell at me loud as you want, but I I have people that quietly prophesy over me and it rocks my world. It's are you walking in faith? All right, let's bring it, let's kind of bring it home here. It's, It's in the place of rest that we're surrendered. From just a physical standpoint, when you're resting, you are, you are easiest to be taken. You're, you're, you know, it's in your sleep. If someone was going to break in, that's their chance. In a place of rest, I'm the most surrendered. In the kingdom, it's in a place of rest 
that I'm the most surrendered to him. Are you getting it? I'm vulnerable when I'm resting. I'm vulnerable. That's just the reality. I'm, when I'm resting, I'm vulnerable. It's a place that we're surrendered, but it's in the place of being surrendered. It's okay, so in rest produces vulnerability, and from walking in a place vulnerable to him, it produces faith. I'm gonna keep taking you back to why rest is so important because if you wanna get to faith, you can't do it outside of rest. That's called striving. Striving is terrible. You work really hard and you don't get anywhere. And if you do, you have to sustain it because you created it. So what's the last element to this? For me personally, I have a very high value for peace. Peace, uh, as you've probably heard it said before, is not just the absence of problems. It's the presence. For me, I say it's the presence of a king because he is the king of peace. So peace does not just mean everything is gone because that would mean that every time you have an issue in your life, peace left. That's not true. Peace is the presence of a king. Peace does fine in challenging days. That's just the reality of peace because it's a king. Your war does not affect him. He's still the king of peace. How do we, how do we, how do we lose our peace? Nobody and no thing can take your peace. You have to, you have to trade it out. I want to assure you, the devil cannot steal your peace. He's not that great. You give him way more credit sometimes than he deserves. He can't take anything. We have authority. Someone that doesn't have authority or power over me can't take anything from me. But I can give it to him. I can trade it out. How do I trade it out? This is, this is kind of the process I go through. I don't know about you, but we have rough days sometimes. Tiffany and I actually have those. Um, it's as simple as walking through your day. And where did I hand over my peace? Because he didn't come in and steal it. See, I changed the way I pray. I'm not going, all right, demon, who took my, that's not how I'm operating. I'm saying, where did I come in agreement and hand off my peace? Because somewhere I came into agreement. Maybe it was the fact when the enemy was speaking to me and I was saying, you know what, it's so true. I, that's, you know, I feel that. You know, you know what I mean? You start coming into agreement. You ever notice, I've said this before, and, and it's still true. You ever notice when you really get upset and you're alone, you start talking out loud? You know, you're like, I can't believe this happened. You know what I mean? And you start, you start talking to yourself. People that are usually talking to themselves are like upset about something, unless they're just kind of crazy people. And then <laughs> I'm just talking to themselves anyways. But people get upset and they start talking and I can't believe this always happens to me. 
What are you doing? You're agreeing. He can't read your mind. He's not that great. He does not know what I'm thinking until I speak it. The devil is not that powerful. We, the problem is, is we have so long focused on him instead of him that we think we know all this about the devil and we don't know enough about God. And the problem, he cannot take anything from me. The only way he gets anything is if I trade. And what happens is, is that we come into situations and we say, you know what? They do treat me poorly. I don't think anyone said hello to me at church today. Introverts dream. <laughs> all the extroverts are like, all the introverts are like, that would be amazing. <laughs> My wife's an introvert, but she's really sweet. But she's like, sometimes gets overwhelmed. Introverts are like that. <laughs> an extrovert would, nobody's talking to me. Can you believe this? I'm that guy that's like trying to figure it out. If you're not talking to me, there's something that I've done. And sometimes it's just an introvert. They're like, dude, we're cool. I just don't feel like talking. It is so hard for me to host an introvert in my house. <laughs> we, have our, we have a few different friends that stay with us, but, and he'll probably listen to this. But Jonathan Welton is the hardest guy to host because he's okay staying in his room like two-thirds of the day. And I'm like, what have I done? And he's like, bro, this is amazing. And I'm like, this is weird. And like six o'clock, he comes out and he's like, all right, what are we going to do? I'm like, I thought you were mad at me all day. And sorry, rabbit trail. Let's, let's bring it back in. How, there you go. That's how you lose your peace. You, just, you, just, you start coming into agreement with things and you trade it off. And if you don't have peace, you're in trouble. I said, if you don't have peace, you're in trouble. Peace is, peace is probably in the kingdom the highest thing I value. Because I know that I can be in the middle of the nastiest of storms. But if I have peace, if I have the king of peace there, I'm okay. I'm all right. It's all I need. I can have peace in the middle of a battle. I can have the peace in the middle of my circumstances. It's in the moment that we begin questioning the goodness of the Father that we trade out our peace. So the key, Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony is the spirit of prophecy. In Hebrew, the word testimony actually means to do it again. I love that. When I call people up to testify, what am I saying? I want to call everybody up here so he can do it again. Isn't that cool? It's when I begin getting challenged, and it's when I begin feeling those feelings that what I do, this is, the, this is, your, this is the, the gold, begin to remember the goodness of the Father. And it shuts the mouth of the enemy. No, I know God loves me. I know he's put me in this house. Yeah, I may have felt that way, but that's not the truth. See, you begin to align your thoughts with him. All of a sudden, peace goes. Peace is power.
God is always speaking. This whole message is on hearing the voice of the Father. Well, what if he's not speaking? He is. He's always speaking. He gave me, a, he gave me a, something, a, a passage, uh, Mark 4, 4, that says that man does not live by bread alone. You don't live just by off the food you eat, but by his voice. What does that mean? When he created earth, what did he do? His voice speaking is keeping you alive. If he stops speaking, you die. Man does not live just by food. Man lives by his voice. He's speaking. He's always speaking. Doesn't mean you're listening. I have three children. They speak a lot. They're not in here right now, so I can say this. <laughs> My Mackenzie, that girl can chatter. She is the sweetest thing in the world. Is she in here? <laughs> Where is she? She's the sweetest thing in the world. Where is she? Oh, Ethan's in here. You secret safe, right? We're good. No? All right. I gave you that PS4 for Christmas. I can take it back. No. <laughs> My kids, they are typical children. They talk. They talk a lot. And we homeschool, so we hear them talk a lot. And Tiffany's like, all day. I get home, and she just wants to be with me. She's like, you really don't need to talk. I've heard enough talking, <laughs> but my kids are always talking, and sometimes, you know, you can get in that mode where you're just, you hear it, but you just, whoop, you zone out, <laughs> and then you don't hear anything else, and then Tiffany's like, I have said this three times, I'm like, oh, sorry, I zoned off. I think that we so often, we zone off when the Father is speaking. We just zone off, and it's in the atmosphere, I fully believe this, I believe it's in the atmosphere of coming into a corporate worship service that so often when you get all these people in a room and he's speaking to all these people in the room that there's such an elevated height of God's voice in the room that it brings you back. You felt all week God wasn't speaking to me, then you came in this room and bam, I hear him. I call it a corporate anointing. I get around some people that I... When I hang around them, I can do things in the spirit that I typically don't do. There's some people that are super duper prophetic, and I get around them, and I'm like, whoa, I got a word for everybody in the room. Why? They're just a, it's coming off of them because it's a grace on their life. If there's anything you hear, when the enemy tries to, you, you, you have to have rest. You can't have faith and authority without rest. You have to have peace. You can't have your peace taken. You can only give it away. So stop blaming the devil. You can't take it. He's not that great. When he comes at you, remember. Testify. Testify to yourself. I do it all the time. I, I do it all the time. And he's always speaking. He's speaking to every person in this room right now.
So what does he have to say? Let's just wait on him a minute. And we'll close like this in a minute. I'm going to call my prayer team up in a moment. But let's just wait. I just want you to close your eyes. Sometimes it helps just to get out the distractions if you're like me. Maybe you don't have to do that. What are you speaking, Holy Spirit? I'm going to have, just just stay in this. I know when this happens, a lot of people want to give prophetic words because everybody's hearing him. But we're going to keep this just between you and him. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you right now. Father, we know you're speaking. But I pray that right now, that you would tune us in clearly with you. Some of you, I just, I see that you have been, I almost see like a, a radio, an old school radio that has a twist knob, and you've been bumped. And it's just gotten bumped out of, that radio station is still broadcasting. You've just been bumped off of it. But I pray right now the Holy Spirit would just tune you back in. Some of you in this room have never heard the Holy Spirit before. It's always my favorite when someone for the first time really hears him. Just listen. Ask him a question. This is just hearing the voice 101. Ask him a question. What do you think about me? And listen. If you need the Lord to restore your peace, I just want you to raise your hand right where you're at. You just need a restoration of peace. Put your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. Look around you. If someone's hand's up, I just want you to put your hand on their shoulder. When someone puts their hand, you're welcome to put your hand back down. But just until then, keep your hand up. Make sure everybody gets somebody. I just want you to simply pray over them, Lord, I pray that you would restore their peace and release the king of peace into their life right now. I release the king of peace into them. I know we made it comical earlier, but it's very easy to trade out your peace. Life can be hard, but it's time to take it back. For some of you, the Lord is going to take you back to the moment where you aligned with something, and he's going to tell you where it was, and he's going to show you how to take it back. Some of you agreed with something, and you can just simply say it. I'm sorry I agreed with that, Lord. It's called repentance. Repentance is not just a prayer. It's a lifestyle. It's a changing the way you're thinking. Repentance is followed by peace. There it is. I feel it. What a better way to start a new year filled with peace.
if the enemy has been stealing your rest, raise your hand. Just put your hand up. This is all going to stop this morning. Put your hand on somebody. They got their hand up. Over here, someone can put their hand on them. If someone puts their hand on you, you can put your hand down. I want the whole room. There's nothing more challenging than being deprived of rest. Both physical sleep and what I would call just rest in your soul. You ever heard of a restless soul? I want you to release over them. Typically, they affect each other. I want you to release over them rest in the physical and rest in their soul right now. Even if you don't have your hand on anybody, just release it over the room. Just say, Lord, I just release rest in this room. I release rest in this room. If you're ready to do the impossible, let's stand up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. I know I went long. I warned you. Here's what we're going to do. Um... I'm going to invite up, uh, we have those that have been trained to be a part of our prayer ministry, and then I'm also going to invite up my leadership team, those that can help out. And we're going to pray for, this is where we just hit it all. If you're in the room, whatever it is, you guys can go ahead and come forward. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. If you have pain in your back, if you have been depression, I, I feel like there's depression still that the Lord wants to deal with. Um, maybe it's oppression, whatever it might be. This is where we deal with it. And so these folks will join with you. I get so many testimonies through emails of what happened on this prayer team. People that write us and say, my world changed. So I bless you. I bless you as you, uh, you step into this new year. I pray that it would be a year that you would experience levels in the glory and in the presence of the Lord that you've only prayed for. And I pray that you Whoa. I pray that you would experience the Father's love in such a powerful way that it diffuses every voice of the enemy. It's one word from him and it diffuses everything. Bless your kids. I bless all the kids in here that they would be lit on fire for Jesus at whatever age they're at.